This is episode 7 of Future Paisley Podcast. Future Paisley Podcast is the title for a radical and wide-ranging programme of events, activities and investments using the town's unique and internationally significant cultural stories to transform its future. Hello and welcome to episode 7 of the Future Paisley podcast. This week we're joined by two wonderful artists, Rachel Lowther and Kerry Stewart. Kerry, Rachel, I'll just pass over to you now. Hi, I'm Kerry Stewart and I uh, come from up the moor near Glasgow. Uh, I live in London and I um, studied sculpture at Chelsea College of Art and uh, that's where I met Rachel. And after after leaving Chelsea, I um, I did lots of exhibitions all over the place. Um, I'm I sort of make uh, I did make sort of figurative sculpture in different countries, and then I um, ended up taking on some public art commissions. Uh, they're both in through. There's three of them, and they're in Glasgow. Big, big public sculpture art commissions. Uh, one of them, two of them are at the BT headquarters down at the Clyde. Oh, yeah. And one is at Silverburn um, Shopping Mall. Uh, I, o- I also uh, do did sort of um, performance art that I sort of involve other people in. So, oh. for example, in Tokyo, I um, worked with Grisdale Arts and worked with two sisters uh, to... I made a song with them about their experiences of success and failure that they then sang in a sort of um, uh, central square in Tokyo. That sounds amazing. I I also teach at uh, the University of Westminster. I teach fine art. I've had children, so I've had three children. So I had a bit of a break from making art, uh, but intermittently did stuff. And now um, Rachel and I decided to sort of bandy together and start looking for projects that would be sort of meaningful and uh, that we'd enjoy doing together. Right, um, uh, so I'm Rachel Lowther and I'm from um, near Blackpool originally. Um, I obviously met Carrie in Chelsea. I studied sculpture as well, um, but my work sort of touches on all various different uh, types of things. Um, I went to New York where I lived for 14 years and... um, I worked for Jeff Coons and Matthew Barney and um, I did a, worked as a part of a team of sculptors in the Natural History Museum, but I, all the time I was making my own work and curating and um, uh, I moved to Glasgow 11 years ago where I had a family and um, we started an artist-run space in our home um, and uh, in the last few years I did, a, I did an exhibition at the Glasgow School of Art on the theme of war. Um, I tend to work with quite dark themes. They, they just keep sort of coming back into my work. And, uh, yeah, and then Kerry and I have got together to work on, on this project. Well, to work on other public art projects. A few years ago, we, we did a project in Up the Moor, where I'm from, uh, Rachel and I and another two friends, um, as part of the Glasgow International Art Exhibition. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We we um, put on an exhibition of our work there and that was, um, I think that was when we'd first sort of started uh, making stuff together, wasn't it, Rachel? Yeah. Yeah, that was a lovely project in the village hall in Uplamore and the whole village got involved and the farmers were moving furniture and 
the kids in the village school worked on a project with me. And um, there was a local band, there was a fantastic band that's doing really well now, actually, called the Ninth Wave, who played at the opening. Oh, yeah, I know them. So, do you? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, they really were cool. amazing. They were still, you know, teenagers. They were still in school at the time. And, uh, yeah, they blew us all away. The Glen Cinema project that, that, that you're both working on, that's something that I, I know that you're, you're both very passionate about. It'd be nice to hear about the background mm -hmm. to the Glen Cinema tragedy itself and the proposal to create this, you know, the, the, this piece of public art to commemorate the event. Mm. Yeah, so the, the Glen Cinema tragedy, as probably a lot of people listening will know, will know about, is one of the worst tragedies in Scottish history. Um, and it was on Hogmanay, 1929, when something close to a thousand children went to, to the cinema um, in the days when they didn't have attendance and so on. And I think the projectionist was, a, was even a teenager. Um, and a canister started to smoke and smoke billowed out into the, into the cinema and somebody shouted fire and um, <clears throat> the children started to panic and they all ran to the exits which were locked and they were even... They, were, they also opened inwards, so there was, you know, a lot of issues that we no longer have to deal with. Be because of that disaster, actually, it's actually changed. It's made, it's made going to cinema and public places much safer, but 71 children died in that um, tragedy. And um, there's never, apart from, there's a, there's, a, there's a memorial in the cemetery with all the names of the children on it, um, and there's individual gravestones as well. But apart from that, there's, there's no memorial. There's never been anything in, in the town of Paisley to commemorate it. Um, and so, you know, it was decided there's, there's still two survivors left. And it was decided that it was really important to create a memorial. Um, yeah. And set I mean, it this must... in going while, they're, while they're still, there's still people, you know, to see it. Yeah. I mean, that, that sort of... Um scale of tragedy must have filtered down to sort of present day paisley mm. even because it's it was such it must have been such a sort of huge thing for the people of paisley that it inevitably must it must have had so much uh, it must have had so much impact on the culture of paisley yeah and, and for it for the for there to be <clears throat> no public sort of recognition of it um yeah, and I think that was one of the things that when we, when we talked about it, that that sort of the thing of the silence was one of the big things that sort of really struck me. That that like we when we met um, we met the t two survivors, Robert Pope and Emily Brown, who were invited into, us into their homes, and we met their family members. Um, and yeah, one of the things like Robert said, in fact, Robert's son, who's also called Robert. Um, said that he didn't even know about about the tragedy. So it wasn't until he was an adult that he even heard about it and that his father was involved in it and was one of the survivors of it. Wow. And um, Robert Pope, the survivor, he, he said that at the time, you know, children were seen and not heard. And that's the thing that sort of kept coming up. We kept hearing that and um, that they didn't attend the funeral. So there was this kind of... This sort of silence, and also on New Year's Day, I think, that was another thing, wasn't it, Kerry? Something about the, there'd normally be a big event on New Year's Day and the bells would ring and, and well, it was like at, the at whole midnight, At midnight, people would come out, but right. uh, nobody said anything that night. When they right, and it was like this sort of silence descended. Mm. Um, and that just, that, that was just a really powerful, the idea of that silence was, sort of really struck us.
I thought that was powerful, actually, something that I read. The quote was from you, Rachel, and it was talking about that that theme of silence, I suppose. And you drew a line from the, the silent film yeah. to the silence of yeah. the town. And there's a real, there's something very powerful about that. Mm-hmm. And that now both of you working with the, the people of Paisley, you can break that silence in a way that, that might give, give the town something that it, that it needs, that it might, might not even know that it needs. Yeah, I must say there is a fantastic uh, film by Paul Mothersole that he's, he, I think he's actually made several films, but um, he's documented, he's gone and met survivors and it's, this, it's an amazing document. He, he speaks to quite a lot of the survivors. It was the 80th anniversary. Um, so there's, there's quite a number of them speaking and, and telling the stories and, mm. and um, it's quite harrowing to, to watch. Um, because it's, it's like suddenly there's this outpouring of all these these older elderly people who are remembering something from when they were tiny little children. Um, such a kind of horrific scene that maybe they, I don't know, maybe I'm projecting a bit, but you sort of imagine that they did, they weren't able to fully talk about it at the time, but suddenly they're being invited to speak and they, they, they talk about it in real um, detail and quite, um, it's very vivid. Isn't it? So I've read through the, the, the proposal and some of the, the ideas that are there. It, it would be nice to hear you speak about those a little on that theme of silence. I'd mentioned when we first met about that the ballad seemed like a very powerful thing to me and I think that it, it, it would replace a silence. And there's something quite strong about that, but it'd be lovely to hear as, as the artists your thoughts on the proposals. That was actually our first idea, the song, I think. Yeah. Because when, when you hear the story, it just stays with you when you... I mean, I, I didn't sleep, I think, the first night after I'd heard the story because it's such a sh- shocking and uh, powerful story and it seems like something that should should be a song because mm-hmm. it's just it's so epic and, um, and so tragic. And, um, yeah, I don't know what else to say about it. I mean, I was thinking of Johnny Cash and stuff like that. And, but we did think... Um, we thought it would be really lovely to have a song that was... The words were coming from the people of Paisley. So, I mean... The, especially having, like, listened to these testimonies of survivors and, um, you know, and just hearing people's thoughts about it, we thought it would be great to construct a song entirely made, the lyrics made from, you know, the people of Paisley. Initially, we were going to run workshops with lots of different groups of people from Paisley. In those workshops, we would sort of create a discussion around what people felt would be some a meaningful uh, way of commemorating the disaster by showing them great examples from around the world of really successful public art that commemorates sort of trauma or loss there would be a sort of discussion about what people felt about those about the success or the sort of um, how those artworks functioned and then we would show them our proposals and uh, there'd be a discussion about which ones they felt were um felt appropriate to them so the, some of the ones that we were some some of our our ideas one of the first ones was the ballad the song mm-hmm. where we would yeah we would, we would take um words from testimonies from the people of paisley and sort of um work with a song a musician to make a song that's the first one we've been talking to a musician um who'd, who'd who's really also into bell ringing uh, so there's, there's lots of different ideas that could be incorporated into the song, but one, he was suggesting that they could have a choir of children singing to a choir of adults. There could be a back and forth in the song or something like that. Um, and we do know that there's a lot of choirs in Paisley, so th- that seems like quite a potent um, way to proceed. Yeah. And also maybe, you know, finding bell ringers in Paisley and recording 
using those recordings in the song in some way. Mm-hmm. And it could involve a performance. I mean, there's, there's many possi- possibilities that, that that could go down. It could be sort of an annual event type thing as well, couldn't it? So that leads into th- another idea, which is the jingle bell. So um, one idea was to erect a, like make a giant jingle bell, like a two meter jingle bell, similar to the ones that the children would have played, played with in the 1920s. And hang yeah. it in the um, bell, the empty bell, bell tower in Paisley Town Hall. Yeah. So and it would sort of jingle. Well, not necessarily. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I also uh, there's, there's also financial constraints, obviously, yeah. to any public art project. So the to to cast a functioning bell could be, could be a major issue. But I actually felt that a silent bell is a really beautiful sort of poetic way of. Mm-hmm. of sort of memorialising this, it, um, it could be. And uh, we also, the, the, the idea of that, those little bells is also that it can connect to the sort of the time of year of the disaster, you know, this sort of fest, normally festive of time. Um, and, you know, that that bell tower is just, I mean, that bell tower has a really interesting story of its own about how we were told that it was built to block workers from looking out at the clock that it was purely cosmetic there was never a bell in it and that it it never used to be there (laughs) and it was put there so that because workers used to go out out of the mills and so on and look to see what time it was if work was almost over and stop you know interrupt their work and so it was added to to prevent them I don't know if it's true I didn't know that (laughs) (laughs) it's a great story though (laughs) but there's this this bell tower just sitting there looking over the whole town um, it's quite close to, also to the location of the, the Glen Cinema and um, it just seemed a way for, you know, for, the, for these, these, these children to be remembered in, in, in a very central way and sort of placed sort of above the town. It's also, it's also, the thing about the bell is it's also, it's quite a, it's not a dark image. Like with public art, there's um, yeah. public art in general and public art specifically that's about sort of trauma. Um, you have to, there's a sort of balance between sort of presenting some real darkness and um, mm. something that people are going to be confronted with every day in the city. Yeah, mm-hmm. so the, the bell is a sort of, there's something joyful about it as well. Yeah. Another one of our projects, um, we were thinking about how, well, we're thinking about the scale, the scale of the, the disaster and the 71 children and how to sort of how to articulate that and also how to bring sort of modern today's children how to bring them into the into the memorial and how to connect them to it so that it gets sort of passed on you know so they grow old and and the memorial sort of they feel connected to it and they feel connected to that story and so um, you know, both being sculptors, I do, I've done a lot of casting and my natural inclination is to cast, uh, cast someone. <laughs> and so we thought it would be, it could be a lovely thing to, to go into schools, um, work with different groups of children and cast se- 71 children's feet. So there would be literally 71 Paisley children that would be involved in the, in the memorial and mm-hmm. they'd each have one foot. So like just a life-size foot and the uh, where the, the, the Glen Cinema's uh, located where the, the Burton's built, the present Burton's building is today, yes. um, which is quite a nice Art Deco building. Um, 
and it has this sort of ledge going all the way around it. And we thought um, we could place these feet almost like architectural decoration, sort of just walking along this ledge. Yeah. So you might not notice it. You could walk past it and you, you might not see it because it's in, in one way it's quite slight, but in another way it's... Um, it's quite epic, if, if you see what I mean. Does that make sense? You, you had said, Rachel, that a lot of your, your work feels like it's maybe rooted in a darker place, maybe. Mm. Um, but I think, you know, I'd thought about um, something that actually Nick Cave had said, and he speaks about mm. the how intertwined love and grief are and the, the non-negotiability of grief, that if yeah. you love, then you must grieve and there's no way to, to avoid yeah. that. That leads me to thinking about art's relationship to loss and grief, again, kind of paraphrasing him, he speaks with this kind of um, conscious inhabiting of your vulnerable self, enriched by the absence of, of loss. Mm-hmm. So how, how do you how do you see the relationship with with examples of art and loss and grief in, in a public place like this? Yeah, it's, it's tricky. Uh, I'm just thinking about that quote from Nick Cave, and it's so true, isn't it? I mean, it's like love... Pain is inherent in love, isn't it? It's just there. It's like if you love someone, there's, there's pain because there's a recognition that you could lose them. Um, sorry, I'm still thinking about that. <laughs> uh, well, it's like Kerry said, it's how to, yeah, how to create something that carries, that carries the pain and the love. I mean, it's carrying those two things together, isn't it? It's, you want, it's expressing that, that love. One way of... Uh of talking about it might be to think about um, public art that that does it successfully, like for me anyway. Like uh, there's a there was a proposal for um, the Utøya massacre in Norway, where the man went and killed all the young people uh, by Jonas Dahlberg, the artist, and his proposal was to take a section out of the island, sort of cut a slice through the island and remove it. So cut cut it down the middle so there'd be one part of the island then just sea and then the other part of the island uh, and so for me that's a sort of super successful way of communicating um, terrible loss in yeah yeah it's very violent isn't it that and that that was one of the ideas that that you'd you'd proposed at the beginning and we spent a long time discussing so Kerry had suggested a whole just a, you know the idea of a hole in Paisley, um, and we spent it's just you know as, a, as an abstract concept it's a really powerful concept I think to to talk about what happened and you know what this must have meant to Paisley to lose his children, but um, trying to yeah real trying to find ways of realising it we spent a long time on it didn't we and um, we didn't find a solution that we felt was was quite right that would yeah it still stays there as a sort of like it would have been a good piece of public art i think like a big hole in paisley yeah (laughs) uh, like on a building or in a building or in the ground but uh yeah practically it was problematic yeah so that's not one of our proposals but i still like that idea another another great example of uh public art that deals with losses rachel white reads uh Holocaust Memorial mm-hmm. in Vienna which is like a cast it's a very beautiful piece of art where it's a it's a cast of a library of books so it's like just very elegant way of talking about um the loss of all these knowledge and lives and yeah 
maybe I'll just go back to an actual direct example of loss. So I've just lost my neighbour who's just died. And um, because of the current situation, hardly anyone can attend her funeral. She was an elderly lady, but she was really well loved. She was a fantastic person. And, um, and she leaves a husband who's also very well loved. And he's a bit of a pillar of the community. He's a real joker. He sort of goes to our local park. Everyone knows him. You know, everybody wants to support him, but, but can't. And what we did was we all just came out on the street and stood out on the street and so many members of the community that you don't normally know all came and stood on the street for him as, as the hearse went past and the cars went past and I was thinking about the, these sort of questions about how to remember loss and I was thinking you know when someone's been bereaved and you write to them and it takes a lot of thought to find the words to to express what you want to say about the person that's died it, take, it takes a lot of care you know and so we were just talking about that effort trying to avoid saying something that you've heard somewhere before and trying to speak in a, in a really sincere way. Yeah. That feels a bit like there's a connection, there's some kind of connection there between doing that and making an artwork that speaks to a, to a very particular... Yeah, because, because if, you, if you just repeat sort of tropes and sort of, cliches, sort of cliches that exist or language that's been used so often that it, um, it becomes sort of uh, meaningless and invisible and doesn't pierce through to say anything and so with with art the whole the whole uh thing of making a good piece of art is to try and is is like the condolence card is to try and sort of uh bypass language that is yeah cliches or hackneyed maybe this is really obvious things to say but uh, it, it, it does it does feel related to our commission doesn't it i think it sounds like a lovely way that that, that, that you're addressing that that you know that there is a, a risk that when you're speaking just just in your own voice then you're trying to articulate something and you find that the words that you use hackneyed you know and perhaps have become redundant and it doesn't quite carry the message that you want and i know how important it is to you both that you have the support of the people of paisley mm-hmm. in this project and that you are going, you're going to undertake a great deal of public consultation to make sure that I, I suppose that you don't run that risk of of, yeah. of saying something that's been said before that it's not just your own voice but the voice of an entire town. Yeah, and actually, we, from just meeting from meeting Emily and Robert, we had that was so that was they were like our first people apart from arts people, you know, who'd awarded the commission. They were our first people, and probably two of the most important people in a way to to have a view on it and um we weren't sure you know when you're approaching someone with art you know you were talking actually craig about how you know intimidating art can be for people who aren't steeped in it you know like it it can be right it can be really intimidating and and we had no idea if they'd be like don't know what you're talking about you know just what the response would be and they were so interested I mean we showed them also actually that Rachel Whiteread piece that Kerry talked about we showed them other you know some other images before we showed them ours and they were they were really fully engaged with it and it's a kind of I mean I, I guess that's the thing we're trying to just talk in a language that is not not necessarily an art language that's just a lang- that's the point isn't it is to speak to is to speak in a sort of universal way, but also speak in a very particular and sort of really specific way, but in a way that, that can be understood, clearly understood. It must be very difficult when, when you're engaging the public in projects like this that, that are quite traumatic. Um, are, there, are there particular methods that, that, that you have and you've developed for projects you've done previously or specifically for this one 
that, that you've found are the best ways to, to have these conversations with members of the public? Our idea was that by sort of holding these discussions about what would make a meaningful piece of art to commemorate the trauma, the tragedy uh, of the Glen Cinema disaster, would be a way of people talking about it in an indirect way. So it allows people to to sort of um, think about quite deep, quite sort of sad and uh, deep things without it um, uh-huh. in an indirect way. Yeah, sorry. I can't in fact, actually, Kerry and I were talking yesterday about how even in, you know, a story like this, um, you know, you can there's still humour comes into it sometimes. You know, I mean, tragedy and humour actually do do go together. And when we met, um, I hope it's all right to tell the story from Emily. So we met Emily Brown and she, she, her and her two sisters were all saved. So she was the middle sister and her older sister held the hand of her younger sister who was three. So there was 10, I think six and, and three. So the 10 year old and the six year old stuck together, but Emily got separated. Um, and then at the end, the, um, the newspapers um, took a photograph of them and she showed me the photo. She still has a really grainy copy of the picture of her in the newspapers, um, of the three of them. And the, uh, the journalist asked her how she felt or something. And she said, um, I want my biddy penny back. So she, cause she was a penny, she paid a penny to get in and she never got to see the film and she got to have this horrific experience. And she said that was her cause she didn't, <laughs> It was her trying to say a swear word <laughs> as a small child. And, and I just thought, why not? Yeah, of course she wants a biddy penny back. And she said that they gave her a shilling, which she said, a whole shilling, I got a whole shilling. And uh, when she got home, her mum told her off for swearing at the, <laughs> the journalist. But that is a child's response, isn't it? I mean, that's just a fantastic uh, response. Um, it's just f- fury and, I mean, it's sort of got everything in it. Um, anyway, I just wanted to tell that. Oh, that's a lovely story. Obviously, at the, at the moment, things are, are, are very different and have affected us in different ways. This project, for, for you both, has your, your perspective of it changed? Has anything felt differently as a result of, of COVID-19 and the lockdown? Maybe more time that, that you've thought about it or a, a greater distance from it? I think I think the thing that you said about the funeral relates to that, is about the, the sort of community and being... being um, the community that you live in, communication within the community that you live in is sort of become, feels more important or heightened. I'm much more aware of it anyway. And you know, all the thing of like going out and clapping for the NHS and sort of seeing people. Like, because I live in London and we don't know most of our neighbours. In fact, we hardly any of them. So we go out and we see these people and they must they must be our neighbours. But And we're all standing out there doing that clapping together yeah and in a way that's like a return to the past isn't it that thing of where you're really connected because I do feel really connected to my community now because we sort of set up a group for um you know like vulnerable people um so we all started community we created a whatsapp group and we all um we've seen we've seen each other in the street we've done the sort of sitting in each other's gardens and stuff and getting food for the for people that are shielding and so suddenly um i just yeah my whole social life for which is very little <laughs> but for, it really is local it's super local and and that's how it used to be i mean robert talked about that didn't he robert pope talked about that and obviously kids used to play in the street and 
know their neighbours. Oh, and yeah, the kids, the local kids now all go to different schools, but now they're all starting to know each other from the park or from, yeah, from the street. So that local life has sort of returned in a way because of this. That has been a, a lovely, a lovely thing to have to have come from this, and it is a theme that that recurs in the conversations that we have with our guests when we we speak about the the difficulties um, of lockdown, and then when we look forward to to moving out and and you know and things gaining some more well, I don't want to say normality, but maybe a, a greater regularity, the things that we would hope to carry forward with us, and a strong feeling amongst everyone is this heightened sense of community. So that idea of um, community and sort of awareness of community is what this project is all about, really. And that's what Future Paisley, who are funding the project, I think that's a big part of their purpose, is to strengthen the idea of uh, community in Paisley. And uh, sort of this commission is about the, um, the history and the sort of fabric of the culture of Paisley and the community there. The initial stages of the project are to run workshops um, with different groups within Paisley but obviously because of the situation with Covid right now we're going to have to adapt those workshops perhaps they might some of them might be online or um, in small groups or with even with questionnaires for people that are not sort of AV sort of savvy based on the sort of outcomes of those workshops we'll, we'll go forward with one of the ideas one of the proposals yeah I mean I think basically we just want to start conversations about how to create a memorial. Obviously now it's probably even more something relevant to people is how to memorialise loss and specifically how to memorialise the Glen Cinema disaster. And so this podcast is actually a fantastic way to, to begin that conversation and to sort of put ideas out there and get people thinking about it. And um, we'd like as many people to import and as possible. We are arranging these specific workshops, some with school children, some with the elderly. We want to sort of reach different groups, but any input is is great and the more conversations the better really. COVID nineteen has sort of um caused this sort of rupture of normality. Everyone's sort of thrown off and sort of sees things sees things from a slightly different angle. And I think um that sort of ties in with making art where the whole purpose of art is to sort of seize those gaps in normality and um, use them. Um, so if anybody wants to um, find out more, there's um, yeah. a page on the Renfrewshire Council website about the Glen Cinema uh, Memorial Commission. And if anyone wants to contact Kerry or myself, you can find contact details in the episode description below. Well, guys, I just want to thank you for your time. I know you're both very busy. I appreciate you taking the time to sit with us. It's been lovely to speak with you. Thanks for having us, Craig. Thank you very much. Thank you. I look forward to seeing the the project grow and move forward. Yeah, us too. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Future Paisley Podcast was created by Renfrewshire Council and produced by the team at Erskine Arts. We'd like to thank Kerry and Rachel for being our guests on this episode.